back to Undiscovered. We are at episode three. I am thoroughly enjoying this even more than I thought I would. Today we're going to be talking about body dysmorphia, the male gaze, patriarchy, eating disorders, all that really, really fun stuff. If these are topics that are sensitive to you, this is a trigger warning. If you want to learn more about this kind of stuff or you're interested in hearing my story and my experience with it, this is perfect for you. I asked you guys to submit your questions. I'm going to answer some of them at the end of the episode. We're just, as always, going to get really raw, honest, and into the nitty gritty. I told you guys in the last episode that I wanted to start off every episode with reading one of my writing prompts of the week. I knew I was going to talk about body dysmorphia this week, so I challenged myself to write something about bodies. Actually, I'm going to be totally honest with you. (laughs) I wrote this an hour ago, so it's very unfinished. But there's some good nuggets in there that I feel like we can all take something from, hopefully. If not, don't tell me. Okay, here it is. I'm not sure how to write about my body because I think we've been looking at bodies wrong. I'm not sure how to feel about my body because I live in a world where everyone else has the right to feel something about my body before I do. I am not above the influence. I can own that. Even noise-canceling earplugs can't drown out that level of noise. Every year, every month, every week, every day, I think about how I can tighten her up. She will never be good enough as long as she indulges in her sugar cravings, skips her morning workout, snacks past 10 p.m., or even snacks at all. Every single today, I think tomorrow will be better. Tomorrow I'll be good. Good. What does that even mean? Good is how we treat other people, so why does it mean the opposite for our bodies? Why does treating our bodies good become synonymous with restrictive, disciplinary, obsessive? I don't want that kind of relationship with anybody, let alone any body. So why is that relationship reserved for only our own bodies? I think I know why. Culture is an excellent advertiser. Even noise-canceling earplugs can't tune her out. But as a woman who spent the better part of her life trying to be good, obedient, tighter, smaller, stricter, quieter, I am tired of being so damn good. I am tired of squeezing my growing body into extra smalls or skipping snacks to fit into a size 25 in denim. I hardly fit a standard 26. I am tired of scrolling through my Instagram feed and feeling guilty for not waking up as early as that girl who has already accomplished 17 things off her to-do list. I am tired of staring at my lopsided belly in the mirror, pinching and prodding the skin around her until I feel satisfied. I am tired of sucking in until I'm out of breath just so the camera captures me at my best. How the fuck is that my best? I am tired of the ache I feel every time I pass by a mirror naked. I am tired of feeling like my nakedness won't be as good as what else is out there, as if that's all we have to offer. I watched my nana leave her body recently, and I know we are missing something. She laid in her casket, eyes closed, arms perfectly placed by her side. Her body had never looked so borrowed. We are missing the miracle it is just to be a human body for however long we get. We are missing all the miraculous things a body can do, other than simply be good, tighter, smaller, quieter. We are missing the gift of being wrapped in skin, in whatever shape that takes form in, because the ugliest truth is that one day, our bodies will look borrowed too. Why are we spending a lifetime missing them? We have the rest of infinity to do that. So there's a lot in there, and I have thought about how to break this episode up because 
I am not an expert in body dysmorphia. I only have my own experience to draw on. And I think my opinion about how I feel about my body and about the way our culture looks at specifically female bodies is constantly changing. I didn't really even understand that I was affected by patriarchy, let alone what the fuck patriarchy was, until only a few years ago. Because you know what they don't teach us in school? That. I mean, I can tell you the quadratic, actually, I can't tell you the fucking quadratic formula, but you know what I really can't tell you? I cannot tell you anything I learned about emotions and being human and patriarchy and how to fill out a tax form and how to write a check. But this is not an episode about the education system because I am really not well-read or well-researched in that area. So body dysmorphia is not just an idea. It's actually a disorder. It's called body dysmorphic disorder. And I am just going to read a quick definition. So it's a mental illness involving obsessive focus on a perceived flaw in appearance. The flaw may be minor or imagined, but the person may spend hours a day trying to fix it. The person may try many cosmetic procedures or exercise to excess. People with this disorder may frequently examine their appearance in a mirror, constantly compare their appearance with that of others, and avoid social situations or photos. So a lot of times this is coupled with eating disorders. That is the truth for my experience. I'm just going to give you my literal backstory. My body issues quite literally stem from my back. We're going to go back in time to my back. (laughs) I mentioned this in the first episode. I wore a back brace from age 11 to 14 pretty much all day. They were like, you have to wear it 23 hours a day. So I would sleep in this back brace as well. It was a very comfortable life. Also, just the worst years to be thrown in a back brace. Just your most formative fucking years going through puberty in a cage. When people are like, I was so inside my shell when I was younger. I was like, no, I was literally inside a shell. I actually remember being fitted for that back brace where they wrap you in plaster until it dries so they can form it to your exact body. That is probably one of the more traumatizing memories looking back. I just remember standing in that office almost naked with plaster being wrapped around me being like, this is not what I thought being 13 would look like. I think that was like one of the first moments that I can really pinpoint being like, I feel incredibly isolated and incredibly lonely in this experience because I didn't know anybody else that was dealing with scoliosis or had to wear a back brace. I'm having this realization as I'm talking out loud. I'm like, was that the birthplace of my loneliness, of my fear of being left behind disorder? I didn't have anybody to relate to. And also when I was younger, like the internet was not as expansive as it is now. I didn't even have social media to find other people who were also dealing with similar issues to relate to. I would be so grateful to have social media at that age for the sole purpose of relating to other people and not feeling so alone in what I was experiencing because I could hide my anxiety. I couldn't hide my back brace. If I haven't made it clear, I feel like my entire purpose lately at least, but for the better part of my life has just been to feel less alone. And now all I want to do is share parts of myself that'll make anybody else feel less alone. So let's let's take you back. Let's explain what scoliosis is. Scoliosis is curvature of the spine. When I was 11, I was getting out of the shower. I asked my mom to put lotion on my back that fateful day. And my mother being the anxious Jewish mother that she is, which we absolutely love her for, because honestly, we would have missed this without her detail-oriented eye that was tracing the lotion down my spinal cord and was like, um, this doesn't feel right. 
She was like, it's probably nothing, but I am feeling your spine in the shape of an S curve. And um, I'm pretty sure a spine is supposed to be straight. And I was like, mom, you're so crazy. She was like, it, you know what? Let's just go for a checkup. Let's just have the doctors look at it. We go to the doctor and I should have been worried because the doctor is like, so listen, your spine is curved at 25 degrees. You're only 11. You haven't gotten your period. You haven't even hit that big growth spurt in puberty yet. And the chances that your spine is going to continue to curve more and more, especially after you hit that growth spurt are pretty high, but we can give you a back brace to try and slow that process down. And hopefully it won't get to a degree that requires surgery. All I heard was back brace and all I saw was everything we had ever been sold about back braces in TV and film, which is <laughs> that's the weird girl. That is the weird girl that nobody fucking talks to. Have you seen House Bunny? Remember the girl in the back brace? Yeah. Okay. As a kid who just wanted to be accepted and popular, this was my worst fucking nightmare. I was like, okay, so my childhood is over. My life is over. I ran out of the doctor's office screaming that I would not, in fact, be wearing a back brace to which my mom had to chase me out of there and be like, honey, this is the reality of your situation. And it's either this or you might as well just sign on to getting surgery. She obviously didn't say that in that harsh of a tone. She was very, very compassionate and understanding. And the doctor was trying to be as hopeful and positive as possible. But I think looking back, the numbers kind of spoke louder than anything else. After I did eventually get my period and go through puberty, my spine was curved about 50 degrees, meaning my spine was pretty much a full S curve at that point. And I was 14 years old, meaning it would only get worse from there and probably cause me some serious back issues in the future. And the longer that you wait to do the surgery, the harder the recovery is. I'm going to also read the definition of spinal fusion surgery. Spinal fusion surgery is basically to connect two or more bones in any part of the spine. And so this is a pretty serious surgery, obviously, because it's dealing with your central nervous system. Because they had to fuse a pretty large portion of my spine, I have right below my neck to probably like the middle of my lower mid back. All of that is fused into one singular spinal cord through 19 screws and two metal rods. So I was under for six hours, about three hours in because there is a very, very, very small chance of paralysis. They have to wake you up and make sure that everything is going smoothly. I have no recollection of this. Nobody really does because whoever is handling the anesthesia is doing a fucking great job. Thank God. They do have to wake you up just enough so that you can wiggle your toes. Thank God everything was going smoothly. The surgery also had a six-week recovery time. I was out of school for six weeks my freshman year of high school. I just remember waking up from surgery feeling like I was carrying a thousand pound weight on my back. So you're still in the hospital for about a week recovering after because they have to give you, I'm pretty sure I'm not making this up, they had to give me one pump of morphine every seven to eight minutes because that is how painful the recovery period would be without medication. It was a lot because that is a giant portion of my upper body. My body dysmorphia definitely started there. I do have other memories of feeling pretty insecure in my body even before then because, oh God, I'm going to just get into the nitty gritty of it. I'm like talking about this. I feel so overwhelmed even starting this conversation. It's emotionally exhausting, but I'm going to get through it because I do want to be able to give you guys this information. 
I remember being very confused about my body even before I wore a back brace, if I'm being completely honest. I had have a very similar body shape to my dad and my brother. That felt really, really uncomfortable as a little girl, and it definitely made me feel disconnected from my femininity. And it also is the reason that I was fucking pissed (laughs) and jealous of my mom. I was so mad that my mom did not give me her genetics as if it was her fucking choice. Like I truly look back and I feel so bad for how angry I was at my mother for not choosing my genetic makeup. My dad and my brother, it works for them. They have more masculine bodies. I always felt like I had a more masculine body. Like my rib cage was a little farther apart. Like I didn't have that cute little pinched, cinched in waist that every beautiful feminine girl was praised for. I also felt like that cinched in waist was always this symbol of femininity. You know what really sucks is that I didn't make that up. Like that is not my fault for believing that considering even when I was younger, I remember there were plenty of whether it was magazine articles or just my friends who were probably reading magazine articles. And this is the reason that we said this. We would look at bodies that didn't have those quote unquote feminine curves and we would be like, oh, that person who has maybe that straight up and down figure looks like a little boy body. That girl has a little boy body. Okay. Let's just, let's just fucking pause there. I'm sitting here and I'm like, God, why don't I feel feminine? Why don't I feel womanly in my body? Mm. Maybe it's because for some reason I'm looking at other girls with a very straight up and down figure that slightly represents my own and I'm hearing other people label it as a little boy body. Well, no wonder I didn't feel feminine. And also I would look at my brother who was a little boy and I'd be like, well, yeah, We kind of have the same body. And I remember looking at my mom's body and I was like, why don't I have that? You have what it looks like to have a feminine body. I don't. What the fuck? My mom was also taught that her appearance meant everything and that her appearance was the most valuable and um, worthy things about her. And I don't fault her for that. She was one of those moms that didn't really want to leave the house without makeup. And honestly, I know a lot of my friends that grew up in the time that I did who had moms that were very similar. She was also a makeup artist. So not only did she not want to leave the house without makeup, but she also thoroughly enjoyed doing her own makeup and getting ready. And in a way, that is her way of feeling like she had control in the world. And I won't lie to you, the times that I walk out of the house wearing makeup versus the times that I don't, I do feel like I have much more control and social capital. And I wish that I didn't feel that way, but I would be lying to you if I said I didn't. I was very triggered every single time my mom would show up with makeup because I felt like I was always less than. I remember sobbing on the side of her bed one morning, and I don't really even remember the catalyst to this, but I was sobbing next to her, begging her, desperate for her not to wear makeup that day. To be honest, I don't even know what I would do as a mother in that situation because in a way, I am glad that she wasn't so codependent and took off her makeup for me because I think that would have been communicating an even worse message like she is so entitled and allowed to wear her makeup outside of the house but I think there was another layer of that conversation that both of us were missing that we were too young to understand how to get to I think she was so shocked by that and on the defensive that she didn't know how to ask me those questions that got underneath to the root of the problem which was okay can you talk to me about that why is it important to you that I don't wear makeup what feelings come up when we walk out of the house and I'm wearing makeup and honestly I haven't really played out how that conversation would have looked 
but I think it would have been a lot better because I felt like what I was met with was her being on the defensive and her being a little bit colder to me and not really knowing what to say. And that's why it came off a little bit more removed or apathetic. For some reason that has just stuck with me and felt like such a big moment of disconnection for us because I was so angry at her for things that she had no control over. And I don't think she had the tools to know how to handle that. And I'm saying that with a lot of compassion because that is something that if and when I have kids one day, I will probably have to learn how to handle and I am not sure how to do it yet. Not only that, but you add a back brace onto that and wearing that for two and a half years, being locked inside, caged inside my own skin, it puts this extra layer of not only did I feel isolated in having my little boy body, I also felt incredibly isolated in wearing a back brace on top of it. And what that back brace did is also make sure I was keeping that exact same shape that I fucking hated. My spine was fused at the age of 14, so my growing stopped at that age. My body and my stomach specifically could not grow further because my spine was fused together and that was the end of my growth spurt. And sometimes I still feel like I'm looking at my body at 14 years old. So I never really struggled with weight when I was younger. I really fucking struggled with shape. Even when I was in middle school and elementary school, getting in a swimsuit was like hell on earth for me. That was my worst nightmare. I remember crying in Victoria's Secret, trying on all these different swimsuits, coming out and showing my mom and being like, it is not about the swimsuit. I'm trying on all these different types of tops and bottoms and every single thing I fucking hate because I don't like my body. So I am not going to like whatever swimsuit is on top of this. Trying on swimsuits was like voluntarily walking into a haunted house if you fucking hate Halloween, aka me. For a long time, I didn't ever really want to go to the pool or the beach because that meant that I would have to get in a swimsuit. And there is nothing more vulnerable than getting in a swimsuit if you are incredibly insecure in your nakedness. What's really weird is that I am not insecure in my nakedness when I am around my good friends or even necessarily with a sexual partner. I really think it depends on who you're with because I definitely have been in scenarios where I felt insecure and I would not necessarily put all that blame on myself. In a situation where I'm showing up to like a pool party or something like that, something where it feels slightly performative and I know that I am going to be standing next to a bunch of other girls that look very different in swimsuits, that feels particularly isolating and um, like my worst nightmare. Because the reality is I'm not able to go to a pool party or be in a swimsuit without being hyper fixated on how my body looks standing next to all these other girls that in my mind are looking way the fuck better in their swimsuits and probably look like how the swimsuit was sold to them online. This is another thing that I also really struggle with. Just being an influencer in the fashion space, trying to sell clothes next to my friends who also kind of looked like the models that we were buying the clothes from. I never felt like I looked like those models. And I would always wonder if my friends were having an easier time getting link clicks and selling their clothes because they looked like the perfect image of what you would sell that piece of clothing on. And when I tried it on, it didn't always look like that. And here's the thing. I was trying to fit into a body I did not have. So it does make sense that I never was able to sell those clothes because my body wasn't made for those clothes. And I think I was missing my opportunity to be able to talk to people that had similar body shapes to me and sell clothes to that community instead of trying to squeeze myself into a community and into clothing that was never for me. And this is something I am just now realizing 
at 29, which does make sense because I am at an age where I can actually finally understand myself. And for the better part of my 20s, I think I was just trying to get outside of myself and be a different self. And what's really beautiful about reaching the age of almost 30 is that you kind of get to this place where you are so emotionally exhausted from all the shit that you've been trying to do to not be exactly who you are, that you finally just surrender to being who you are in the most cliche and non-cliche way possible. And it feels so much easier than you ever thought it would be. I think we have this idea that surrendering to who we actually are is going to be the hardest thing we ever do. But actually, going so far out of our way to be anybody else is the most emotionally exhausting, grueling experience of your life. In the past three years, I have gained 10 to 15 pounds, which if you would have told me that 10 years ago, I'm not sure I would have been able to handle it. I'm not sure I can even handle it well now. I definitely have had moments where I'm trying on jeans that fit me even two months ago, and now they don't, and I am screaming and crying on the bathroom floor. Yeah, I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm above that because I'm not. That's why I have such a, a tumultuous relationship with the Love Your Body movement because that feels so, so unbelievably performative to me. I really don't think the goal for me is loving my body. I think the goal for me at this place in my life is simply accepting my body. And if love feels like it's in the cards for the future, then I will tackle that when it feels like it's available to me. But right now, acceptance is something that I'm working on the most. But gaining those 10 to 15 pounds, I have always been terrified of that specifically because my dad was always very, very thin growing up. I was super thin growing up. I was always like quote unquote skinny mini, which was always this backwards compliment. And I always just tried to maintain my skinniness. When my dad was around my age that I am now, he gained a little bit of weight and I was always terrified that that would follow me as well because we have similar body shapes. I also will say, and dad, I love you if you're listening to this, which I know you are, you don't eat the healthiest, you don't exercise, and I do those things. <laughs> and so I am doing the best that I can to take care of my body. However, this recent weight gain has definitely been a big challenge for me and to every single piece of clothing that I own. <laughs> specifically. And I know that doesn't sound like a lot of weight, but if you have body dysmorphia or you have struggled with eating disorders in the past, it feels insurmountable at times. I'm sure if you've dealt with eating disorders, it never fully goes away. And I say that because eating disorders are a mental disorder. And even though I am feeding my body the food that it needs, and even though my body doesn't look the same sort of image of anorexia that it did when I was 17, my mind is still having some of those thoughts that I did when I was 17. I am still having to remind myself to let those thoughts pass and not act on them. And I think that that's an important thing to let you guys know because eating disorder recovery is such a long winding road and I don't really know where it ends. I'm still trying to figure that out myself, so I have no answers for you there, but this is my experience. So me feeling like my body was never really the picturesque version of a female body and not really ever feeling like I saw my body in anybody else, because again, we, ne we didn't have social media. I only had my friends or my mom or people around me, and nobody had the same shape body that I had. 
I remember trying to find celebrities, trying to find anybody that resembled the shape of my body in any sort of way. And I just never could. I was like, I think I'm the only person on earth with this weird shaped body, with this extra little layer of fat by my belly button, with these ribs that are super far apart and so not feminine. What the fuck is this? That coupled with getting spinal fusion surgery knowing that my stomach was never really going to go past that, that made the perfect recipe for an eating disorder. And what's funny is my eating disorder started with, yep, yep, nope, you guessed it. You guessed it. A guy rejecting me. I hate to admit it. I really fucking do. I hate, hate, hate to admit it, but it's true. As women in America, in the world, A lot of our value is in the way we look. It's in our bodies. It's in the way our bodies look in a swimsuit. It's in the way our bodies look naked. It's in the way we look in front of a man. And um, a lot of our worth is derived from the male gaze. And what's interesting is that I feel like we're at this point where we have internalized the male gaze. Like all of a sudden, I can look at my body from the perspective of a male gaze without even being a male. And for a long time, I only cared about how my body looked, according to the male gaze. To be completely honest with you guys, I still do. I would be lying to you if I was like, and I'm so over that. I've healed. I've so healed. I'm actually totally fine with the extra skin on my belly button. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. I wish I could sit here and tell you guys that it's okay and it's beautiful and just like love your body and love yourself. I can't do that. Because there is something inauthentic about that. There's something really, really ingenuine about me getting on a podcast and telling you guys that actually, now that I've intellectualized everything about body dysmorphia and eating disorders and patriarchy and the male gaze, now I'm actually able to see my body differently. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. Because that stuff is so deeply ingrained in us that sometimes it feels absolutely impossible to see it any other way. While I appreciate all of us begging not only each other, but also ourselves to love our bodies, are we missing all of the 300,000 steps before that of just accepting our bodies, of simply trying to chip away at the male gaze and the patriarchal lenses from which we see our bodies from? It feels too big right now to just love exactly what's in front of us, even though we've spent the past 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years hating it. It's a really good thing I have therapy in an hour. If you guys haven't listened to the second episode on relationships, I talk about my first boyfriend in high school that I didn't even like, but I convinced myself to like because I was so excited to break up with him. And when I did, I didn't find anybody else after eight months. And when he broke up with his girlfriend... I decided that I should convince myself to like him and date him. And then he inevitably broke up with me just to get back together with his ex-girlfriend. And I had convinced myself that it was because my body was not as sexy as his ex-girlfriend's. I actually don't know how I did that. It seems like it would be harder to do that now (laughs) than to just be like, oh, well, dude, he was still in love with his ex and just needed a rebound. And then they got back together. Obviously, okay, that was not obvious to me. And clearly there were a lot of things underneath that that made it so easy for me to believe something that was so blatantly false. But I had somehow convinced myself that my body was truly the reason that he did not want to be with me. It didn't occur to me that he was still in love with her. It really just occurred to me that I was not as hot as her and that I needed to be as small as her, which is funny because I'm pretty sure I was smaller than her. (laughs) Not that it fucking matters, but she had big boobs and she had a bigger butt and she had a more feminine figure than me. I saw that 
and I immediately felt not good enough. I immediately spent an unbelievable amount of time obsessing and comparing myself to her. It didn't help that we had form spring when we were in high school. And if you don't know what form spring is, then you are blessed. It was a question and answer platform back in 2010 where you could submit anything anonymously. You didn't even have to submit a question. You could just tell somebody something about themselves and each person had their own form spring page and you could submit a question or a sentence or a fucking mean bullying comment anonymously and the person receiving it would never know who it was from and we could respond to it. I found out a little bit later that his ex-girlfriend who also struggled with a lot of the same things that I was struggling with, he had a type. She was leaving anonymous mean comments on my form spring. I remember very distinctly seeing one of her comments being like, you're skinny fat. You're really, really skinny, but you have this fat around your stomach and everybody knows it's there. It was like the most specific thing where I was almost shocked because I was like, she had pointed out my main insecurity like down to the nitty gritty details to the point where it was terrifying. And I was like, I have to get rid of this tiny pouch of fat around my stomach, around my belly button, whatever. I was committed to removing that because I thought that maybe if I got rid of that then I would finally have the body that would be desirable to men I have a couple other distinct memories of one of my friends who looking back absolutely had an eating disorder at the time and she would come to school with these really well-styled outfits uh she loved fashion she loved free people and more than free people she loved looking skinny in free people and if you ever saw the 2010 catalogs from free people we still have this obsession, but we absolutely had this obsession in 2010 with the frail, half-dead kind of skinny woman. And we were putting clothes on her and we were selling it. We were not only selling the clothes, but we were selling that image. We were selling that these are how the clothes are supposed to fit you too. That's what I think we're missing is that we're not just selling clothes. We're selling an image. We're selling an idea. We are selling that these clothes look best on this body. And thank God some brands have woken up and are trying to change that. But do we still have a long way to go? Fuck yeah, we do. I remember sitting at lunch with her and she had made a comment that was like, I've been learning to eat slower and control my portions because if you eat slower, then you won't actually crave as much. And so I tried doing that. And I tried curbing my hunger by eating slower, by focusing on the food, which it, there is a meditative practice to doing that. But my intention was not to be meditative. My intention was to curb my hunger. And I think that's really important to point out. It started with lessening my portions to the point where my portions became almost nothing at all. And I had gotten down to about 90 pounds. And I'm a pretty thin girl overall, but 90 pounds was nowhere near where I should have been. And it got to a level where you could see my ribs and you could see my bones and people started making comments. And some of my friends were like, oh my God, you're so skinny. I feel like I could just break you in half. And for some reason at that point in time, that felt like a compliment to me, which is such an issue, but it's also so common if somebody tells you, oh my God, you look so skinny. Oh my God, I'm nervous for you. Oh my God, you look so unhealthy. It's like this backwards compliment. You feel a little bit proud. And I sort of fed off of hearing those comments Literally, that was my only form of food. And it's actually your friends trying to look out for you with good intent, but what they're doing is feeding the eating disorder. And also, if you guys don't remember, I am somebody who was diagnosed with OCD and my OCD was super fixated on food at that time. My way of feeling like I had any control in the world was controlling my food intake and controlling my body. Underneath an eating disorder, really is feeling like you do not have enough control in your life. I felt so unbelievably out of control after the first boy who I ever liked who liked me back broke up with me that 
the only thing I had control over was perfecting my body in a way that made it digestible and quote unquote attractive to any future partner. I think that's the best way that I can sort of understand it. My mom being the wonderful mother that she is noticed that my eating disorder was getting out of hand. She handled it with a lot of caution because she didn't want to overwhelm me. Even during that time period, she was like, you were so angry. Like I couldn't even get through to you. I couldn't really even have a conversation with you because you were half there. You were half dead. She didn't say that, but that that's how I sort of interpret it. I was so angry. I did not have enough energy to even have any other emotions. And um, she was like, I couldn't really access you. And so around my 18th birthday, I think I wanted to get my double cartilage piercing. And she was like, okay, we can totally do that. I have this one therapist that specializes in eating disorders. You never have to go to her again after this one session, but I will buy you a cartilage piercing for your 18th birthday if you promise to go to one session. You never have to go again if you don't like it, but that's the deal. And I was like, (laughs) okay, fine. And I ended up loving this therapist. But this therapist also had recovered from an eating disorder in her younger years. And she knew exactly how to handle it with me. And I just remember feeling so seen by her in that first session that it made me so excited to go back every single week. In that same period of time, one of my best friends who I mentioned in a previous episode, Leah, had introduced me to the law of attraction. Quite literally gave me the book, The Secret. I know what you're thinking, Jamie. The secret is so extreme and that is basically a cult. I don't disagree, okay? I think that in a way the secret can feel a little bit like a religious cult sometimes, but anything, anything spiritual, any religion can feel extreme and sometimes you need the most extreme thing to get out of the other extreme thing that you're doing. And so I was so deep in my own misery that truly I think the only thing that could have gotten me out of it was something as extreme as reading The Secret. I do definitely believe in law of attraction. I am not as intense as I once was about it. I do think that the thoughts that we choose are really, really important and do absolutely affect our behavior and the way we feel about ourselves. But man, when I was younger, I was like, my thoughts can control everything. And I was so deep in my own delusion that I wasn't enough that I honestly had this life-changing thought after reading The Secret, which was, I quite literally have nothing to lose by thinking positively about myself. Like there is nothing at risk by trying this. There is quite literally nowhere else to go other than up. So I might as well see like what all this buzz is about thinking really positively about yourself. And thank God that I have OCD because my obsessive compulsive disorder was fucking fixated on law of attraction. So I credit both the combination of finding the law of attraction and finding a therapist to my eating disorder recovery. In a way, I felt like that was the first time I had really taken control over my life and changing my life. And I made this desperation for control into something slightly more positive, which was I can control my thoughts and I can make them thoughts that are going to put me in a really positive place in my life and attract better things for me instead of let me control how small I can make my body so that I fit into a society that deems me socially acceptable and worthy. I also after I was broken up with, went through a sort of identity shift. Not only did I fixate on my body, 
but I also fixated on my personality because everything about me I had convinced myself was too much. I was in this play the year before. I talked about this in the second episode where I played Maria in West Side Story. And even though that was a really anxious journey, it also taught me that I have this loud, outspoken personality that sometimes I am so proud of and sometimes is maybe annoying and obnoxious. I just got the confidence after being in this play and performing in front of a large audience to not be so scared to raise my hand in class and ask question after question after question and be like, I don't really care what the fuck this class thinks or if they think I'm annoying or I thought I didn't care. Because eventually after a number of times raising my hand, I do remember specifically being made fun of by two of the more popular guys in my class being like, oh my God, not again. She's so annoying. And I sort of convinced myself after that, that having a loud outspoken voice was too much. And it wasn't going to make you desirable to the popular boys. So I should probably shut myself the fuck up and be one of those girls that's just like universally likable. I remember comparing myself to some of my other friends who were a little bit quieter and always polite, always so fucking polite. Oh my God. I was like, I have way too much to say to be considered polite. But that's scary because if I wanted to be accepted, I felt like I also couldn't open my mouth. Not only did my body and the extra fat around my belly button feel like it was too much, but my voice felt like it was too much. And I felt annoying. I felt annoying every single time I let that part of myself speak. So I figured I would find a way to shut it up. And I found this thing called bohemian lifestyle. <laughs> oh my God. If any of my friends are listening to this that went to high school with me, they are probably cracking up. This was the most depressing, saddest, funniest time in my entire life. I thought maybe I could just change my entire personality, my entire being, not only by restricting my calories, but also by restricting my personality and becoming the girl who is just go with the flow carefree, knew how to just please everybody else, shut herself up, flow with the wind because she was also as thin as the wind and would wither away with the wind one day. And I thought that girl is universally likable. That girl is bohemian. I am going to shrink myself into the most bohemian fucking bitch I can be. Oh my God. I had somehow convinced myself that I'm um, also wearing bohemian clothes and very loose fitting rags that sometimes... I would poke holes in and rip up because I was so fucking angry, but I also thought it was like mildly artistic and cool. I would tell my friends, I'm like, the clothes that I'm wearing are just reminding me essentially to shut the fuck up. The clothes that I'm wearing are reminding me to just like go with the flow and not be myself and be the girl that I think everybody else wants me to be, who really doesn't talk unless spoken to, who doesn't have opinions unless they're universally acceptable opinions. And in those clothes, I wanted to be as skinny as fucking humanly possible. I wanted to swim in them. I would look up images of Mary-Kate and Ashley because they were the pioneers of this bohemian lifestyle and also of eating disorders. And I would figure out how I could look exactly like them. So finally I get myself out of that and I go to fucking therapy, thank God. And I'm like, actually, I hate these clothes. And um, also I think I was trying to squeeze myself so far outside my own skin that I don't even know who I am anymore. And I have to relearn how to eat food and that food is actually okay to eat. And that actually food was only ever here to be eaten and um how to be a human again in a fucking body i have therapy i'll be right back okay i'm back from therapy a day later <laughs> so i started as an influencer in 2016 i didn't become full-time until 2018 and so it took me about two years of posting pretty consistently in order to take it full-time 
in 2016, it was very surface level. It was, it was very performative. It was a lot about creating what looked like the perfect life. And it, for me, a lot of the time was about fitting my body into clothes that honestly didn't fit me, but were trending at the time and wanting so badly to squeeze myself into what was going viral. A lot of times behind these photo shoots was a mental breakdown. And I know I've talked to so many other girls that have gone through this as well, where you're trying to take photos for Instagram and it's supposed to be this fun thing and you've put together this outfit that you're really, really excited about and then all of a sudden when you're shooting it, it doesn't look the same as it looked in the mirror earlier or you accidentally gave into your sugar craving that morning or you ate before the photo shoot, God forbid, in 2016 and the photos did not come out as you expected. And so you look at that first photo and you're like, holy fuck. And mind you, your brain doesn't think like maybe this is just a shit angle, but you're like, oh my God, I look horrible. And it completely derails the photo shoot and you're like spiraling in your mind. This is kind of what would happen to me a lot where first of all, I was not a very like planned or scheduled person when it came to photo shoots. Like when I first started influencing, I would just take whatever gifting I got that week, throw it in a bag and make something work on the fly. And so one thing that I think would have really helped was planning outfits that actually made me feel good so that the photo shoot would feel easier instead of trying to figure it out just like in the moment, because a lot of times we'd be like, okay, let's just make it work. Let's just make it work. And you know what we should not do when we're doing that stuff? make it fucking work. If it's not working beforehand, you're going to drive yourself crazy trying to quote unquote make something work. And the amount of times I have like contorted my body into the most uncomfortable position to like try and make some sort of random gifting work was ridiculous. Also like that's not going to sell to anybody because I don't even like what I'm selling. I wouldn't buy what I'm selling. And I am still learning sometimes that I actually don't need to shoot the dress that doesn't zip in the back. The other thing was that I noticed that I only felt comfortable shooting if I didn't eat before the photo shoot, which is a pretty common thing, especially in the modeling industry, especially in early influencing years. I think there was this like undercurrent of shame that I felt if I ate anything before I was taking photos. And then also, I think I got so wrapped up in just this like vegan, healthy culture in LA and I was around people who were restricting their eating that like looking back now, I didn't realize it in the moment, but I think moving to LA and getting so wrapped up in influencer culture, it was very easy for me to find myself relapsing on a lot of the eating disorder habits. Also, my job became to take photos of myself and to constantly be looking at photos of my body for hours on end, going through and trying to figure out which one was the best to the point where you are nitpicking every single square inch of your skin. And it was funny because when I filmed one of my first series on Netflix, I was like so acutely aware of every single angle that I would be perceived at no matter where the camera was because I had been doing this on my own for so long and like creative directing my own photo shoots that I became hyper vigilant, hyper aware of where the camera was and like how I would look and trying to angle my body or angle my face so that I would get the best lighting or the best side of my face. And essentially because I'm sitting there and noticing all of the tiny little things, tiny little details about my body and my face that like don't look perfect, it kind of 
makes it easy to have a warped mindset around what you really look like, especially because we are also, even if you're not in the career that I'm in, you're still probably scrolling on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, wherever we're consuming so much social media or media in general that sort of begs you to compare yourself to other people. I think it's really easy if you are an influencer also to get influenced by the bullshit. It's so confusing because sometimes I'm like, even as the influencer, I know that I got the exact angle that I wanted. And so I look back on it and I'm like, man, I wish I still looked like that, even though I probably didn't in that moment. And I have to remind myself that that goes for so many people online. There are so many people that are posing at specific angles or using Facetune. And like, I have this idea that everybody looks a certain way. And I have to remind myself that we just don't know what happens behind closed doors or like behind the photo. I think we're all moving in such a positive direction with this. Like I really do think that editing your body and showing like your real skin, your real curves, everything like that, cellulite, stretch marks, like that used to not be a thing when I started in 2016. It was like you were only allowed to be perfect. And I find myself like still trying to unlearn that. I think that what the most important thing to note from this is, is like, I don't necessarily fault myself or anybody when it comes to this conversation for having body dysmorphia, because if you are spending time on social media at all, you really have to do a lot of mental gymnastics to not compare your life to other people. Not only that, but like the reality is we live in a society that still has such a long way to go with how women have been told to view their bodies. I really want to shed light on the fact that like I am not faulting myself, even though there I have so much work to do on body dysmorphia, the way I view my body, the way I view other people's bodies. I think that in another breath, I understand that it's not just a me issue. It's actually something so deeply rooted in misogyny and patriarchy. I was actually listening to the conversation about patriarchy on Call Her Daddy recently, and it was such a great episode. It kind of offers the perspective that because we are all living in a world that has valued women to be a specific size, our bodies to look a certain way in order to be valuable, is it really our fault for falling into those belief systems? A lot of times people look at specifically the Kardashians and are like, the Kardashians have fucked us. They have created a body standard that we should all aspire to look like. They have monetized off of changing their bodies. A lot of people I think have used them as a scapegoat for patriarchy because the reality is I know for a fact that some of those girls were getting so much hate online with people being like, Ugh, this one's prettier than this one or this one is looking a little thick or this one should lose weight or blah 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 and they didn't necessarily start this whole body standard I think they honestly felt victim to it and many people might disagree with me on this one but I feel like there was a part of them obviously that felt like in order to fit in and feel like they belonged they felt a need to change a part of their bodies and so there is this part of me that understands that because I have thought about this a lot recently and I wish I could tell you that it wasn't 99% of my thoughts every day but like from the moment I wake up in the morning and I'm choosing my clothes to the moment that I go to bed and I'm looking at myself and my stomach after everything I ate that day like I wish I could tell you that I wasn't thinking about it all the time and that it wasn't on the forefront of my mind but it really truly is. I've kind of related it to this even though this is like on a much smaller scale. 
I have been open about this on social media. I got a nose job when I was 19 and I am Jewish. Okay. I had my dad's nose. It was like Captain Hook up in this bitch. And I was so insecure. Like every single time that I took a photo from the side, I was like trying to hide my face. And so this was so, so hard for me to feel like confident about my face. It's funny because eventually I got to this place where after I had recovered from my eating disorder, my senior year and got into the law of attraction, I kind of like started choosing better thoughts and got to a place where I was like, you know what? Even though I do have a bigger nose, I actually do still feel really beautiful to the point where I was in the waiting room on the day of surgery being like, oh my God, what if I'm going to ruin my face? I don't know if I want to do this. And my mom was wonderful. And she was like, if you don't want to do it, like you don't have to do it. And I was like, you know what? I keep on thinking about it though. I keep on going back and forth. I'm just going to do it. So I did it. And I will say it took like a year fully to get used to, but the one thing that it did for me was it completely eradicated the insecurity from my thoughts and I was able to go about life quite literally not really thinking about my nose anymore. Like the only thoughts that I have about my nose are that it looks really cute. I used to hate my side profile. I used to hate taking pictures from the side. Now it's my favorite angle of myself. And so there is this part of me that's like, I understand why you would want to change parts of your body in order to feel accepted and confident in the world and honestly, to stop the obsessive thinking. It's not really even about being the hottest bitch in the room. It's literally about being able to go about your day not having that be the thing that is on the forefront of your mind behind every single decision. Here is where I stand on it currently. I have a lot of cognitive dissonance about it because on the one hand, I so badly want to be the person that is above all of the bullshit and is like, I'm not going to touch my body. I'm going to own it. I am so proud of it and I'm going to learn how to love it. I desperately want to be that person. I can't guarantee you that I can be that person. I can own the fact that I don't think I'm above it. I think there are days where I struggle more than I would like to with feeling good in clothing. More often than not, the reason that I don't want to leave the house or get dressed in the morning has a lot to do with picking clothes that I will feel comfortable in for the rest of the day. And there have been plenty of times where I have contemplated just getting that fixed, whether it be with liposuction or any other treatment, so that I can think about it fucking less. Now, I'm not recommending that everybody go out and change their bodies at all, but I will say I will always be honest with you guys about what I choose to do to mine. And I thought for the longest time, I was like, oh, everyone's going to judge me. Like if I ever get liposuction or if I ever change my body, like I have to hide it. I don't think that's fair. I think that the one frustrating thing for me is like, yes, I, I understand why the Kardashians deny having any surgery and are saying that they're at the gym. However, I don't hold the same celebrity status as them. And I also feel like it's my responsibility if I am going to do something like that to let people know and not tell you guys that I went to the gym and just started eating healthy because that's also not reality. And so if I ever do get liposuction or change my body, I can guarantee that I will be honest with you guys and let you know. I have no judgment for anybody who has changed their body to feel good about living in it. And honestly, like the other side of the argument is that life is fucking short. And if this is what you got to do to have a good time for the rest of it, then fucking fine. And to everybody that is looking at people that have ever touched their body or their face or anything and are like, ew, like that's not real. There's this obsession with like natural girls are better. Actually, like I would like to offer that a lot of the times when we say natural looks so much better, we're looking at the picture of a natural girl who naturally has all the things that other people are having to go get surgery to get done. Is it natural that's prettier or is it having the privilege of 
being what is considered naturally pretty in this day and age. I just think we need to stop shaming people for doing whatever they want to do to feel comfortable in their own skin. I can guarantee you, as somebody who has broken my nose to get it fixed and shaped into something else, I feel as real as ever. I don't feel fake because I got a nose job. My friends who have gotten their boobs done, those titties feel real as ever. And we need to stop making women feel so bad for doing whatever the fuck they want to do to their bodies to feel good. This is such a larger conversation, but other people's bodies is not something that any of us have a right to talk about. And here's the thing. I also am somebody who needs to learn that lesson. I also, because I cannot stop commenting on my own body, have made the mistake of commenting on other people's bodies, whether it's literally just to compliment them or be like, ooh, that person looks like they might have an eating disorder because I'm so fucking sensitive to it. That is something that I'm actively working on because in my brain, I'm like, oh, everybody's looking at everybody's bodies all the time. And that's not true. It's a narrative in my brain because it's the way that I live. I had somebody look at me the other week and was like, oh my God, you look so skinny. And I remember hearing that feeling like, I know that she's trying to compliment me, but it doesn't feel right. And why is you look so skinny synonymous with you look better? We need to stop saying anything about it at all. Because honestly, when somebody loses weight and we're like, oh my God, you look so good. It still has the undertone of like, okay, well then did I not look good before? And also, why are there trends for women's bodies but not men's? Like, the fact that there is a full-blown surgery for a mommy makeover because women's bodies after having kids is that unacceptable, but then when it comes to men having dad bods, we're like, actually, it's kind of hot. What the fuck? What the fuck? Also, in that same breath, I probably will get a fucking mommy makeover because I am so affected by the current climate that we live in. I will spend the rest of my life trying to unlearn this shit and I will continue to keep you posted on where I'm at, but I can tell you from the messy middle that I know I'm not where I really want to be, and I know that I have mixed messaging right now because I have mixed messages in my head. The other thing that I talked about actually two years ago on stories is something really, really important, and I think it kind of provides insight as to why I am really compassionate and empathetic for why the Kardashians made the choices that they did. When I first started gaining a following, it was because I used to do these try-on hauls on American Style. This was like a huge thing back in 2019 and probably where I got most of my followers initially from. When I grew that following, it was because a lot of these videos would go viral and American Style had, I think, around like 9 million followers or something. So it was reaching a lot of people, especially because that was the trend, was to do these like very quick try on hauls and I would put together these random outfits and I would always try and like fit my body into things that didn't necessarily fit my body and sometimes I would honestly just be excited to wear something that I got gifted that week I always was a little bit insecure about showing my stomach and that happened especially with tight fitting tops or crop tops obviously and like on days where I was feeling a little masochistic I would go and read the comments I highly don't recommend this there were a number of people not only on my video but actually on another girl's video who had a very very similar shaped body to me some of these comments were and unfortunately I will never forget she looks like SpongeBob SquarePants. Why is her body like a refrigerator? Her body looks like a surfboard. She doesn't know how to dress for her body. She shouldn't be wearing those tops. So first of all, these are all the meanest things I've ever said to myself. And when you see random strangers on the internet say it, you're like, holy fuck, my darkest thoughts were actually true. Not only that, but I had already been so mean to myself and bullied myself with these comments that I was like, well, at least I'm in on the joke. 
Not that this is a funny fucking joke. The other thing that I started to realize was people thought that I didn't know how to dress for my body simply because I was showing the part of my body that felt unacceptable to them and didn't fit within societal standards of something that should ever be shown. So anytime I wore something that showed my stomach, whether it was a tight top or a crop top, people made that equivalent to me not knowing how to dress for my body because I didn't know how to hide that part of my body. And because my skinnier legs with the thigh gap was something more digestible and easy to look at, Anytime I showed my legs, people were completely fine with it. They did not have an issue with it because that was something that they wanted to buy and that was the image that they wanted to be sold. But I think we just need to have compassion even for the Kardashians who are changing their bodies, even for the random person on the street that doesn't look necessarily healthy to you. I realize how difficult it is sometimes to live in this world in this body and I understand why somebody would want to change it. On the other hand, I wrote this other thing because again, I am so confused about how I feel. And so I'm just going to read you something very similar to the first piece of writing, but I'd still like to end on this note. Why the fuck are we spending our entire lives fixated on the physical shape of our fucking bodies instead of understanding how insanely lucky we are to simply be in one for a lifetime? And why does that only feel clear after watching my Nana leave her body? How much of a blessing it is to experience all the things a body can do, like cry and touch and run and poke and dance and sleep and dream. We are missing the point of bodies, aren't we? We are missing the gift of what they offer. We are missing that one day we will have no choice but to leave our bodies and all we could ever do is miss them. This is a reminder to you and me and everyone everywhere not to spend our whole lives trying to jump outside our own skin, but to love every last inch, the good and the bad and the ugly, while we have it. So before I end this episode, I'm going to do some Q&As. And so we're going to start with the first one, which is, I saw your reel about turning 29, and I want to know how you gained these self-insights. Girl, therapy. There's a lot of different things. Number one, both therapy and finding the best life coach. My life coach, Casey Dreyer who has been with me for years and has seen me go through the depths of my own ridiculous psyche and come out on the other side. She really, really changed my life. And she's also worked with some of my friends and has made huge impacts in theirs as well. What I love about life coaching is that it's so action-based. The other thing that really helped me was honestly reading and listening to a lot of podcasts. I personally love listening to podcasts on self-help. It's my favorite genre. I love reading books about self-help. Um, if you guys are interested, I can put together a list of books and also my favorite podcasts that I have learned so, so much from. So all of those things in conjunction have helped me really understand myself and my life and also other people. Okay, number two, why do we keep comparing ourselves? I think I probably answered your question in majority of this podcast. I don't want to fully blame social media for it. For me, I think it started in childhood, early development with my mom, with my friends, just wearing a back brace, not really being able to go through puberty in the same way that my friends did. Like you start comparing yourself in school, at home, and now just to always have access to everybody's lives 
all the time is really, really hard. And we have to work really hard to put down the phone and not compare our lives to theirs. Because the truth is we never really know what the true story is. And all we're doing is creating narratives around photos or a couple second videos documenting a small, small portion of someone's life. We are literally all going through a loneliness epidemic simply because of the issue of comparing ourselves. And so try and give yourself some compassion and grace for this because you're so not alone in it. Number three, In your experience, do eating disorders always come from low self-esteem? I'm genuinely curious. In my opinion, yes. I think there's something underneath having an eating disorder that almost requires a lower self-esteem because the truth is a healthy and secure ego has a good level of self-compassion and self-love. Restricting food, a necessity from your body, is a form of self-harm. Low self-esteem also comes from what's underneath the eating disorder. So for me, I had such low self-esteem about looking attractive, especially to men, that I decided the only way that I felt like I had control over that was to make sure my body was as small and tight as possible. Number four, any tips on self-compassion? Um, hell yes. Okay. Self-compassion is pretty much the number one thing that is going to save you. It's the number one thing that I didn't have. So when I was younger, a lot of this comparison was so hard for me because at the end of the day, I had zero self-compassion. I would always just blame myself. That was my main way of gaining control as well. I would always make everything my fault. So for example, the reason that this boy didn't like me is because my body was wrong. To increase self-compassion, I think I'm going to give you the exact same answer as I did for the first one. Honestly, therapy or coaching so that you can learn these tools and strategies in times that you're feeling really triggered. Also, something that really helps me is trying to talk to my younger self. An exercise that my coach and I have worked on is speaking to a younger version of myself and then having an older version of myself speak to me now and kind of imagining what that would look like in the moment. So by talking to our younger selves at whatever age we experience that trauma at, it really helps go back and heal the mindset that was developed during that period of trauma. I also literally have a mantra that I tell myself when I am in moments of panic or anxiety and that is, I am here, I am okay. I'll literally just repeat that to myself. I love the analogy of imagining yourself in a car as you driving with your younger self in the backseat. And so when it feels like the younger self and the older patterns want to take over, I try and say to my younger self, you cannot be in the driver's seat. However, you can stay in the backseat and trust that I can take it from here and I can protect us. So the scared part of you feels seen and heard, but she doesn't get to take control. The last question, what inspired you to start the podcast? BTW, I love it. Oh, I have been wanting to do this for the longest time and I've been spending my days reading so many books, listening to so many podcasts, wanting to talk to everybody who's writing these books and talking on these podcasts that I'm like, I just want to join this conversation because these are the kinds of conversations that I have with my friends more regularly than anything else. And I've honestly been struggling on social media to really find my voice. I started doing fashion and lifestyle blogging and a lot of that hasn't really been giving me the kind of meaning that I've been craving or fulfillment that I need. I also didn't feel like I was creating a strong enough community and actually like helping people in the way that I want to. So honestly, starting this podcast has given me the opportunity to connect to so many of you and also reach new people that align with who I actually am. 
I'm going to end there. And as always, if you guys have any questions or if this episode resonated, feel free to leave a review or a question or send me a DM on Instagram. I will get back to you with a voice note. I love you guys so much. I am still so bad at goodbyes. I love you. Bye.